You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Mark Skeist is our guest, and he is co-chair of the Corporate and Securities Practice at Stradling. We're going to be with him in just one second, but first I wanted to let you know that our audience demographic is 98% business owners and executives who listen to learn from the experiences of our guests. If your firm is interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on the radio show is the answer. Each month, our sponsors gain valuable exposure through their support of the program, and with our exclusive prospect engagement program, we'll deliver up to 23 warm prospects to each of our advertisers each year. If you'd like to learn more about this wonderful program, then contact Rose Chamora at 951 515 Six one. That's nine five one five one five four six six one. All of our shows can be found from our website, Critical Mass for F O R Business dot com. Mark, welcome to the program. Thanks, Rick. Great to be here. It's nice to have you here. Why don't we start really simply by just asking you to share a little bit about your professional background. I can't imagine you've always been the co-chair of corporate and securities practice at Stradling. So tell us a little bit more about your background. Well, thanks, Rick. I uh, well, I essentially went into law straight out of straight out of school went from undergrad to law school and into uh, practice at a large national firm up in Los Angeles for a couple of years and I've been here at Stradling since 93 so I've been here 21 years pretty oh much my, my goodness entire career and no I started as a as a lowly associate and uh, worked my way up to uh, now as a co-chairman of the of the corporate department that's well, right well congratulations Thank with you. that what attracted you to the area of law you know, it, it, it's a good question. Coming out of undergraduate, I knew I uh, probably should go to graduate school to uh, improve my options of, of getting a good career, and uh, I knew I wasn't very good in math and didn't have any background in, in medicine or science, so I figured law school was the, the right school for me. So, I see. Yeah. And did you go to school in Southern California? I did. I went to UCLA and Loyola Law School. Oh, very nice. Okay. And now you're here in Orange County? I am, yeah. I've been okay. here 21 years. Great. So let's talk about your law firm. Uh, for those in the listening audience, and our audience are middle market CEOs, two to $100 million companies, heavily in so- uh, Southern California, but not exclusively. So talk to us about the, the, the larger practice in general and then your area of responsibility. Well, it sounds like your listeners are pretty much our exact demographic as well. We, we represent middle market companies for the most part. We've okay. got offices in San Francisco, Santa Barbara, Santa Monica, here in, in Newport Beach is where our office is located. These are all nice places. In San Diego. Yeah, we right. have to San only have Diego. offices. Man, you got it. <laughs> That's our mandate. It has to be on the coast with a nice view. Yeah. But, uh, we're not going inland, baby. But the mothership is here in, in Orange County, and, and that's very much what the, the firm was built around, is representing entrepreneurs, middle market companies, what we call emerging companies. They could be startups. They could be billion-dollar-plus publicly traded companies, but they're emerging in the sense that they're growing. And for us as corporate attorneys, we're very transactional-oriented. So as long as they are focused on transactions, whether it be financings or mergers and acquisitions, those are the perfect perfect companies for us to represent. And so tell me about your area of corporate and securities practice. I, I think I know what that means, but I'll be honest and say I'd like to learn a little bit more here today on Critical Mass Radio Show. Mark Skyce. So if you could tell us a little bit more about your area of expertise. Sure. So I, I am a corporate and securities attorney, as you mentioned, and I represent primarily entrepreneurs and business owners. Uh, and so 
thinking about it this way, most people think of attorneys as, you know, putting on the, the suit and having the briefcase and going into court. So in the 23 years that I've been practicing, I've never stepped foot in a courtroom. So I, it's not what I do. I okay. don't litigate. So I'll help business owners and companies either in their day-to-day legal needs, whether it's reviewing agreements or structuring joint ventures, but probably more commonly is uh, helping them with their financing, raising money uh, to grow, whether it's debt or equity financings, and then mergers and acquisitions. So those are primarily what I do. But then I think of myself as an outside general counsel to my clients. So every day I may get a call you know, with, with a question or an issue that I have to deal with that a company's facing um, that I didn't expect to have to deal with. But it's, it's really being part of their, I think, of, as part of their executive team, but really on the legal side. So are these, uh, I, I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it, public companies? Some. And okay. some private, and okay. some, uh, you know, very early stage startup companies. Okay, and in your area of expertise, you know, securities. I mean, how much has has your world changed in the twenty plus years that you've been practicing this type of law? Is it is it more complex now than it was when you started? About the same, but different. Is it easier now than when you started? Give me a sense for the issues that your clients are dealing with. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, for the most part, the securities laws have not changed very much in the past 80 years. And so when the Securities Act of 1933 and the Exchange Act uh, were implemented, uh, it's pretty much, you know, those were set in stone at that point, and then it's been interpreting those those rules and regulations ever since then. Right. And uh, there were some laws that were enacted in the past two years, I guess in... In 2012, Obama signed into law what's called the Jobs Act, which is the Jumpstart Our Business Startups Act, and that was primarily intended to help companies raise money and get around some of the onerous provisions of the securities laws, which uh, have made it you know, increasingly difficult for companies to raise money and expensive okay. uh, to, to navigate. You know, so you're saying this act was intended to make things easier? It was intended to make things easier. Hallelujah. Yeah. Did it? Did, did it have its intended consequences? Uh, it's it's sort of a wait and see. Okay. I'm not I'm not sure it did. And it's it, it's a good question, Rick, because I think some of us were looking at what was actually enacted and what was the intent uh, behind you know putting putting something like this in place. And our conclusion was Congress and the government mandated the Securities and Exchange Commission to put these rules and regulations into effect, and the Securities and Exchange Commission or SEC wasn't thrilled about it. So when the rules actually <laughs> came out, what you'll see is they're they're, they're a reluctant partner, huh? They're very difficult to to adhere to, and uh, you know, I'm not sure they're actually going to have the the intended effect. Well, is there an opportunity though for middle market companies through this uh, rede- redefinition of regulation and the act to find an opportunity to? Uh, grow. I mean, are there intended consequences that can help them? I mean, it has a great name, the Jobs Act. So, I mean, is it is there actually opportunity in that that you're finding for your clients to get benefit? The answer is yes. Okay. I mean, I think for those companies that have had a difficult time raising money, it it offers additional opportunities and avenues for them to look where they haven't had an opportunity before. Do you get uh, called in or questioned by your clients in the area of any type of crowdfunding? Is that is that in your area of responsibility, or are you giving advice or helping your clients to figure out that world of financing at all, or, or not? Yeah. Well, the answer is yes. Quick okay. answer is yes, uh, although crowdfunding really means a number of different things. Okay. I mean, so... Today, you hear about crowdfunding, and, and probably the most common example of crowdfunding is Kickstarter. Yes. Or, or, or websites. Indi- Indiegogo. Or Indiegogo, thing, things of that nature. But what you have to keep in mind is that those have nothing to do with securities. So right. what, what's being done is 
those companies are, are looking to raise money and they're offering something tangible, a widget, a a free copy of your CD if you help me finance my right. my, my record. I'll put your face on the on my game that I'm doing. Right? So so by doing that, it's actually pretty pretty creative and innovative. But they're not they're circumventing the securities laws altogether because they're not what those companies are not doing is selling a piece of the company. Right. You don't have ownership in the company. You don't have ownership. So so you're ap- actually outside of the securities law altogether. Okay. So that's actually very easy to navigate. Okay. So then, no crowdfunding. Uh, as it's described and defined in the Jobs Act, is is allowing companies to raise up to a million dollars from a large number of what we call non-accredited investors. So keep in mind the securities laws today. I don't want to get too technical, but if you want to raise money no, and you want to sell securities in your company, okay, you either have to register your securities offering with the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, right, or you have to find an exemption. And so it's prohibitively expensive for a young or small company to, to register their offering. And right. registering an offering is, is tantamount to going public. Right. So what you do is you always find an exemption. But the exemptions are very limiting, and the exemptions have made it so that practically you really have only been able to raise money from what we call accredited investors, people that are high net worth individuals. You have to have a million-dollar net worth, or you have to have an annual income of at least 200000 or with your spouse it could be 300000 um, you know, so not everyone falls into those in those categories. Is that because the assumption is they're a more sophisticated potential investor, less likely to get taken advantage of? I'm kind of putting words in your mouth. No, does that, yeah, that sound right? You're exactly right, Rick. Okay. I mean, the, the, the securities laws are somewhat paternalistic in that uh-huh. they, they feel that if you're a high net worth individual, you're better able to protect yourself. And I guess you have more money to, to, to possibly lose. Yeah. Know? Right. Uh, right. And so, but what now the Jobs Act has done with these crowdfunding rules is it's allowed companies, or there's regulations now that are being proposed. They haven't been enacted, and they've been proposed, and they've been sitting out there for for a little over a year right now. So we're waiting to see are they ever going to be put in place? Okay. But the the presumption or the, the proposition is raise up to a million dollars from any number. Of, of non-accredited investors, so mom and pop investors can invest up to two thousand dollars. Oh, okay. So uh, if if their net if their income is less or their net worth is a hundred thousand or less, they can invest the greater of two thousand dollars or five percent of their hmm. net worth or annual income. Wow. So who has to verify that? Well, you know, they make certain representations to the okay. company that, that... So it's up to the individual. It's up to the individual. But okay. what we found is that when you really dig into the regs a little deeper, if a company is going to go that route and raise more than a half a million dollars, they need to file annual audited financial statements with the SEC. So think about how expensive those are. Is, right. that, is that realistic to assume a company that's only raising a half a million dollars is going to be able to, to afford an audit? Right. Just to be able to get it. But to me, it seems like it's an interesting way. We, um, we do live uh, seminars uh, around the uh, around the county in Southern California with local colleges, and we conducted one at Brandman University in Irvine on crowdfunding, specifically for middle market firms. And we had a representative of Indiegogo there and some other entrepreneurs who've been able to successfully leverage that platform to raise money. And it, and it seems to me to be an interesting way not only to raise money but create an engaged community of people who are interested in whatever it is you're trying to get into the market that's right so it's almost like you're 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 test marketing your product as well by virtue of using the crowdfunding vehicle and and i and i've always been curious can middle market companies who have a good idea but maybe are cash strapped is that a vehicle for them to get a product into the market 
through uh, using crowdfunding as a way to get investors, not investors, but people who are investing in the idea. You know what I'm saying? I, I, absolutely. I think so. I think I think it's a really good idea. Yeah. Because it's, a, it's also a promotional tool. It is. Yeah. Right. You create buzz. You do, you know, it's like, it's uh, part of what we talked about with the Indiegogo rep is it's, it's a marketing campaign, too. Right. It's not purely just a way to get access to cash. It's a, it's a marketing opportunity for you if you do it right. And there's a whole, it's become a very sophisticated platform and kind of environment very quickly because of the interest that, that's there. Do you, do you see the day when in the United States, and if you can't answer this question, I, I don't mean to ask you a question you, you're, can't, you, you're unable to answer, not willing to, or shouldn't answer, I should say, on the air, um, where you will be able to use crowdfunding to get a piece of equity in the company? I think so. I think when, when you know, my example of the SEC implementing these regulations to make it easy, purportedly for non-sophisticated, low-net-worth individuals to invest in companies, but now the companies have to have audited financial statements, that's where I was saying the SEC, it didn't seem like it really wanted this to happen. Okay. And so, you know, I think wow. currently as the rules were written, it probably makes the most sense for a company like a restaurant or somebody, a local company, to raise a bit of money, less than $500,000 from its patrons or people uh-huh. within the neighborhood. I think for something like that, it's very easy. I think as the rules start to be implemented and maybe the SEC starts to see that this isn't going to be the train wreck that it presumes it's going to be, you'll start to see it open up, and I think more companies will be able to use it. Okay, Mark, last question in this vein, then we're going to take our uh, commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. Do other countries around the world use crowdfunding as a platform for investing? Is this is the is the US, U.S. experience with it? Is do you know is it common across the globe or is it unique to the United States? You no, know, Rick, I don't know for sure, but my assumption is that we're at the forefront of okay. all of this right now. Okay, particularly with social media and the internet, I think that's what's really yeah, facilitating it a lot it's, of this. It's democratizing a lot of different areas of business, and this it seems like it has the platform and the potential to democratize investing, in that you can go directly to your. Uh, potential investors through crowdfunding as long as you follow the rules and regulations as set forth by our federal government (laughs) and SEC. All right, Mark Scheiss, we're going to take our uh, third and final commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. I've got a lot to cover with you, and ladies and gentlemen, if you're interested in these kind of topics, don't go anywhere because I've got an expert here and we've got some other things to talk about as it relates to your business. So stay tuned after these words from our commercial sponsors. There's something positive about the word up. When things are looking good, they're looking up. When someone's down, you cheer them up. So how do you move up? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up, Brandman University. Brandman is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top 10 universities for online bachelor's programs. Brandman's online graduate programs in business and education also receive top honors. So look us up at brandman.edu. Brandman University. Move up. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. 
UPS Protection has been protecting systems in the U.S. against brownouts, blackouts, and poor quality power for over 25 years. We provide power protection systems, including UPS, lighting inverters, generators, and service for clients from coast to coast. We specialize in solving all your power needs. As a direct reseller of the best brands in the industry, including Liebert, Powerware, and APC, we can solve all your power protection needs. Protecting your power is our main goal. We offer on-site or depot repair of our critical equipment. To better serve your budget constraints, UPS Protection also offers both reconditioned and new products. When you use the Premier Rewards Gold Card from American Express, the rewards points can keep on multiplying. Buy three with triple points on airfare. Buy two with double points on gas and groceries. And a single point for pretty much every other dollar you spend on the card. Then, start choosing from over a million rewards to redeem all those points. Apply today and the annual fee for the first year is on us. Call 1-800-AXP-GOLD or visit AXPGOLD.com. The annual fee for the card is $175. See terms, conditions, and restrictions at AXPGOLD.com. And welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. You probably know that Mark Skeist, co-chair of Corporate and Securities Practice at Straddling, is our featured guest during this segment. And before I get back to him, I did want to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our radio show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 16,000 shows during the last 30 days. And we here at the program truly appreciate your continued and your growing support. Of course, all of our shows can be heard live on octalkradio.net, <clears throat> excuse me, or rebroadcast anytime from Apple iTunes, Stitcher.com, Spreaker.com, hundreds of middle market companies' websites where past guests have posted their interview on their website, as well as various other business-oriented podcasting services. All right, Mark, we're continuing to talk a little bit about crowdfunding because I think it's a... It's a fast-moving opportunity, and it's it's one that's becoming more and more mainstream. And since our focus here is on middle market companies and how they might use this as a potential funding vehicle for growth, you were mentioning off the air that there's kind of a hybrid model set up a little bit around crowdfunding. Could you share a little bit of your experience in that area with our audience? Yeah, sure, Rick. So you, you hear a lot about crowdfunding today, and I think as we you know broke it down, there's, there's the Kickstarter campaigns, uh, Indiegogo, and the other crowdfunding that the Jobs Act had, contemplated, which isn't really in effect yet. So really all we have is the Indiegogo Kickstarter model. But but what we're also hearing a lot about crowdfunding is something a little different today that's going on and what we're seeing are funding portals. And so what these are are essentially websites where everybody that's allowed access to the site has been pre-cleared as an accredited investor. So these are the high net worth individuals we talked about. And if you offer and sell securities to only accredited investors, you're sort of able to bypass a lot of the registration and other requirements of the securities laws. And so it, it's interesting. So it's sort of a hybrid on the crowdfunding model in that they're opening it up to a wide number of high net worth individuals all around the world. And you can log on to these websites and see different investment opportunities. And so that, that you know, it took to varying degrees of success, I think. I've had right. some clients that have tried that and right. um, and some have been able to raise some money and some haven't. But it's an, it opens it up to, to a much wider audience than just trying to, you know, figuratively pass the hat amongst, you know, the investment community in, in your local <laughs> neighborhood or, or uh, 
We're passing the hat. Yes. <laughs> a thousand people, please donate. Right. We, we have a new product idea. We need your contributions. Yeah. Well, you know, I, 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 I'm impressed how capitalism and entrepreneurs rush to solve problems, right? So there was probably some engaging uh, entrepreneurs who said, hey, we can create an intermediate platform that solves this problem and gives a benefit. And next thing you know, there's a whole other way to, to, to do crowdfunding that complies with the regulations and makes it easier for the uh, for the entrepreneurs who are running middle market companies. So it's it's a fast-moving field, but I think it's one that um, could release a lot of potential um, money to companies that have good ideas and want to attract an audience and get some some momentum behind it. You know, uh, can you share with us, you're leading a practice within a major law firm here on the West Coast. And we use the term guiding principle here on the radio show. And what we mean by that is all the things that you've learned, Mark, in your business experience, is there a kind of a set of overarching beliefs that you're using to manage your practice and grow it within straddling? And if so, can you share what we call here on Critical Mass Radio Show your guiding principle with our audience? Well, I, th- I think if there's any guiding principle that, that pertains to my practice, and I think a lot of attorneys, it's, it's very much a service industry, and so I think the client is always right. Um, not always literally right, but <laughs> the client... Matter of fact, they're rarely right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You don't know how true that is. I'm just kidding. But but, but so the client comes first, right? And so uh, and you have to be very mindful of of the clients. And and a lot of times we're dealing with clients that are in high-stress situations. Right. And you just always have to be cognizant of that and uh, act as a little bit of a... A psychologist, psychiatrist, uh, as, as well as an attorney. But I think I think always being client-centric is something I learned from the founder, Nick Yaka, of the firm, mm-hmm. uh, as I was coming up under him for 20-plus years. And also, I think, um, practical. I think that's something that, that kind of resonates a lot among a lot of the attorneys at my firm, is that they deal with a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs and you know, people don't necessarily want a, you know, a, a treatise on, on a, uh, an issue. They want an answer as to whether or not they can do something. And so right. we tend to think of ourselves as very business-oriented and practical and entrepreneurial ourselves and uh, in, in the way we approach and practice law. I, I Thank you for sharing that. I, I, I hear you almost saying, too, that you're sort of a translator a little bit, right? Because you've got to take the the arcane information that is the exact law and make it practical and understandable for the CEO running a middle market firm who rarely, if ever, gets exposure to the level of the details that you guys have to make a living at, right? So it's that, because I can see where there might be a little bit of a frustration. It's just kind of give it to me straight, right? Come on, Mark, what are you really saying? And what you know? How, how do we build a long-term relationship here? And talk to me in English, please. Yeah, clients hate to hear it depends as as the answer. Right? They, <laughs> they, they want a definitive answer, but, yeah. a lot, but a lot of times you'll have to explain to them why, why you're why you're giving that uh, you know non-definitive answer. But but you're right. Is that uh, you know they're moving fast, transactions moving quickly, they're making decisions uh, that'll impact the the future of their companies, and they have to make these decisions and and be able to, to pivot quickly depending on the answers we give them so we have to be able to, to give them right answers but also you know be practical and uh and, and and a lot of times i'll be honest rick that you know things might be a little bit gray in terms of whether they can or can't do certain I think things there's a lot of gray in your profession <laughs> there's frankly. a lot there's a lot of gray and that goes back to the it depends answer but you have to be able to give a practical answer to a client and find a way rather than tell them they can't do what they're looking to do but rather to find a way that to facilitate what they want to do and right. find a way around it right because uh as you said, there's no clear-cut answer, but there's probably precedent on which you have to stand, right, and interpret and help them to understand. And sometimes entrepreneurs find it difficult to hear the word no. 
you're at greater risk by you know you're, it's your business you can i would i'm just imagining that it's your business and i'm gonna but here's what i'm gonna tell you the risks of, of the of your decision might be and if you accept these then you can move forward with your strategy that that has to be sometimes i think maybe a little bit of a challenging conversation to get your point across but yet not you know damage the relationship no you're exactly right and so it's a it's a cost benefit it's a risk analysis and you just have to lay it out for them and tell right. them these are the pros and the cons and then you think practically what's the likelihood it's ever going to be an issue right yeah. you know i i wanted to step back a second because you mentioned nick yaka and that I, I think of nick I, I i've met nick i've known him for years that that's a that's a gentleman who's cut a very strong professional personal brand in the community here Absolutely. Nick was the, you know, before my time, um, no comment on his age, but he, <laughs> he, you know, he basically grew with the county and in the early 70s right. uh, was here at the forefront of, of the technology boom here in Orange County and a lot of other, um, you know, developments. And uh, so, you know, everybody knows Nick. And I got to tell you, as, as busy as Nick was in terms of practicing law, you never missed him at a breakfast, lunch or dinner. He Truly. was everywhere. And right. And I saw him at a lot of learning events like FCD and other places where there was actually knowledge transfer. He was always in, well, not always, many times I saw him in the front row. You know, even after being in the industry for that long, there's still more to learn, right? Law, uh, definitely a lifelong learner. Lifelong learner. Right. And, and still, still, still doing it. Right. Yeah. And, and that's great for the brand. Right, I think to have that kind of steward and that kind of history, that that, that speaks well for the, for the firm moving forward. It absolutely has, and so I think a lot of us, the generation ahead of me, the generation behind me, my generation of attorneys at the firm, we all take that to heart, and so we very much are, are flag bearers for the firm, and we make sure we're out and about, and uh, you know, you, you you can't meet too many people, right? And uh, is it, but, but frankly, it's a small county here in Orange County. Uh, small business community. It yeah, seems but large, you're in San Diego, yeah. you're up in L.A., you've got all these right. wonderful places that the people in the Midwest would kill to be looking out their window and seeing probably what you guys see from your offices, but that's why we live here in Orange we, County. We rarely look out the window. Right, there's no time for that. You would probably <laughs> close the blinds so you can focus, 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 and exactly. work for your clients. I'm on billable hours here. I'm not looking out the window. <laughs> exactly. What's the future for Stradling? As being a co-chair, what, what, what do you see in your area of practice? I mean, wh- wh- where are you going in the future? That's a great question. I think, um, I think we want to grow geographically. I don't think we have any aspirations of being a a mega national or international law firm, but we like being a regional Southern California firm. Uh, so I, I could I could see a day where we're up in the in the Bay Area, even though it's a crowded legal community. But I think right. we could find a, a place there. Uh, and I think just moving into different different areas of law that uh, you know it's another way that I think we're going to grow the practice is to move beyond the middle market entrepreneurial. Uh, company representation and move into er- various areas and litigation. We do sophisticated securities litigation and um, and moving into areas like apparel. We do quite a bit of private equity work up in Santa Monica. So I think just growing and just you know growing it slowly but steadily. And right, kind of sounds like building on what works now and just kind of adding more services. Maybe as your clients grow too, right? They have changing needs. You've got to kind of stay with them, don't you, Mark? As they get bigger, more sophisticated, you got to be able to kind of offer them continued services so and, that they. And, don't... We, and we've always been able to do that, so we could represent the the, the two folks in a garage to the multi-billion dollar public company. We've always done that. And I think we think of ourselves a lot of times as we're businessmen. We're business people. In our businesses, we sell legal services. Right. So we're very entrepreneurial in that respect. Right. you well. got to make a payroll. Right? you got to pay the rent. You're, you're running a business. That's right. It just happens to be in your profession. Well, 
I got to tell you, I hadn't met you before, but this time has flown by for me. And we've only really talked about one aspect of what it is that you do for a living. So you're going to have to come back and share a little bit I more would of love what you read. do. Yep. Okay. So I'll have Crystal, our producer, kind of set you up to come back. We'll share more experiences with Mark Skeist. He is co-chair of corporate and securities practice at Stradling. And I want to thank you for being a friend of the program and a part of our community. Thank you very much, Rick. It's, it's been a blast. Fun. All right. If someone wants to learn more about your firm, how can I let you go without asking you, what is your website? It is SYCR.com, and all of our attorneys are up there. My name is Skeist, S-K-A-I-S-T, but there's plenty of great attorneys on there. And so go on the website. We've got a lot of great content on there, and I think uh, you'll you'll find, if you're looking for an attorney, somebody that uh, hopefully fits with what you need. Right. Well, that's... Uh, that's great, and I and I've been to, I haven't been to your website for a while, but when I did, I found it very easy to navigate, and, and like you said, it's e- easy to find the information that you want, as well as the profiles of the people who are doing the work. I want to thank our audience for uh, listening to the show today, and of course, thank our advertisers: Brandman University, Center Club, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, MBN Design, Smart Business Magazine, SNH Rubber, Succession Strategies, Tone Software and UPS Protection. I'd like to thank the team that makes this show possible. Paul Roberts is our engineer. Crystal Nunley is our producer. Our guest coordinator is Kathleen Shepard. Asia Celestino is our marketing strategist. Melissa Batani does all of our social media. I mentioned Rose Jamore earlier, and I'm your host, Rick Franzi. If you'd like to learn more about Critical Mass for Business, refer a future guest or advertise with us, visit criticalmass4forbusiness.com. Until, until our next show, I'm hoping that all of your decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi. 